You're listening to the Chancellor Pink Podcast on Chancellor Pink Radio. I need to make a podcast about when you're losing a woman's love. Hopefully uh, some of you out there can relate. If not, uh, you can move along and don't listen. Uh, Like all of my podcasts, they're really just designed to be sort of ongoing discussions of thought, philosophizing. And, um, you know, the idea is that by hearing someone else talk about a subject, like we do with all podcasts, podcasts, you can yourself uh, begin to think about things maybe you didn't think of before. I say a lot in my podcasts, and so the, the hope is that at some point during the course of my half hour to 40 minutes usually of uh, self-discourse, you will hear a few things that strike a chord with you. Maybe some make you angry, make you, maybe some make you um, reflect and uh, otherwise develop your own train of thought that uh, you, might, you might take an idea or a concept or something I say and spin off with it in your own thoughts. And the main purpose of the podcast is to, uh, to provide comfort that, to let you know that your thoughts are not alone, you're not the only one thinking them. I think it's important to share creative and interesting and, and, and perhaps a little off-the-wall thoughts uh, during regarding uh, all kinds of subject matter because a lot of people keep that stuff uh, bottled up inside and or the only person they talk about it to is, uh, let's say, their therapist um, or their spouse or significant other. But a lot of times those people either are reading the paper or otherwise just... <clears throat> Letting you talk, but not fully listening and or they are paid to listen. So they're giving you canned responses back and it just may not be very satisfying to share your ideas with them. Um, And so what do you do with them? And um, my hope is that by hearing someone else share their ideas with you, uh, you can feel less alone with your thoughts. My hope is uh, in making podcasts that I touch upon some things that maybe you were thinking or that you were wondering about but weren't sure it was appropriate or wasn't, weren't sure if you were the only one thinking them or weren't sure what to do with them or maybe you just weren't thinking that much. And my hope is that by listening to me express my thoughts that will help you Consider things more in general, which I think is better for all of the human race when we all are more thoughtful, because really there's not that much else separating us from the rest of the animal kingdom or the universe. Uh, The number one trait, as far as we can tell, that puts us, in many ways, we're inferior to the stars and to the sun, which is a giant star. Uh, We're even inferior to trees. They seem to live, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years and um the ocean rages on and we we die you know Um, thousands of years go by we're dead the ocean's still there you know the sun blazes on it's been there all along so in a way we're inferior to those creations but the way we're better than the sun and better than the ocean and better than a tree and better than um even a dog or a cat or a bird is that we have uh, much more of an ability than any other living or non-living 
thing in the universe to uh, plan and decide and choose and deliberately act. And all of that is only possible with our thoughts. And so it comes down to, um, you know, utilizing this gift of thought. Um, we need to utilize the gift of thought that we are given and work with it. And um, that's how we rise up. That's how we, because uh, everybody feels, you can see, uh, well, I don't know if trees feel, plants feel. I mean, some people feel they are sensitive to environmental things in a, in a kind of a feeling way. Um, but I know that my cat feels and I know that dogs feel and I know that animals feel. Um, I wouldn't say that insects or um those things feel uh, like a spider. What is it? It's not an insect. It's amphibian or something and whatever the hell it is. But you can see when you move towards a spider, it might pull back a little. It sees you with its 73 million eyes, however many eyes. Um, and it reacts in a way that seems to indicate fear or the ability to get out of there or hoping that if it freezes, you won't see it or, you know. So there does seem to be a little semblance of feeling there in some sort of sensory perceptive way. And, per, and certainly a self-preservation type of way. Um, but certainly our pets, they actually feel things. You can see they're happy. You can see they're scared. You can see, you know, so there are so many other animals we, we, can, we can see their feelings. But so, so, yes, human beings are amazing with our feelings and our passions, but it's not that special. I mean, I suppose the degree to which we feel might might be in excess of all other beings, but... The only thing that really sets us apart and really makes us special and makes us the most powerful living entity in the universe, in my opinion, uh, is our ability to think, our, 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 our ability to reason, and frankly, our ability to control our passions or direct them in a way that is productive. Along those lines... Obviously, if you're a woman listening to this podcast, you're not very interested and it's not going to ring too many bells with you or matter too much to you, perhaps, to hear about the tale of how you know when you're losing a woman. But maybe it could be of some use to you as a woman and giving you some tips as to how you're giving yourself away when you're losing it for a guy. It may seem pretty ridiculous that a 54-year-old man would have any insight into this, as at this point I should be collecting cobwebs in the corner and not be engaging with women of any kind absent a wife or a long-term companion, of which I have neither. But one thing you may not know about your chancellor is that I do tend to still pursue some sort of interaction on a regular basis with a woman, if I can. I have grown, uh, it, it has grown to be something I need in my life for me to feel fulfilled in being alive. Um, I think it's something that just was born into me as I kissed my first girl in uh, first grade, I think it was. I believe it was first grade, Tammy Whitley. I even remember her name. And I think I did a podcast about this a long time ago. She had these M&M candies or these chocolate-type candies, candied chocolate things in her mouth when I kissed her, and it was gross as hell. I didn't, 
I really liked Tammy Whitley. I really did not like the candy, and I really didn't like candy being mixed in with a kiss. So that was my first kiss. I was on the playground, and I'm almost certain it was first grade, yes. Ever since then, I just had crushes on girls my whole life. It's just something I do. And um, in fact, had just gotten over a severe crush on a girl that I knew from college when I met my wife-to-be. And I really felt God's presence in meeting my wife-to-be because in so many ways she rescued me from my heartache at that time and I rescued her from a great heartache that she was going through. So uh, it did not last. We ended up getting divorced, but I never worry about that because I look at uh, most relationships and I see that the vast, vast majority of them do not last, and many of the ones that do last uh, do so with very little communication and not a lot of happiness. So the number of people that actually last forever in relationships and do so in a really congenial, loving, good way is slim. Having said that, I mean, it's what we all strive for, I think. Well, those of us who, who feel the need to cohabitate, to have a partner, we feel more fulfilled with a partner. Um, it's our hope usually that that's going to last. I don't think any of us get into relationships of a, of a serious intimate kind and hope that they end. Um, so I started out as a boy, pursued it all my life, and even after my divorce have pursued it. And although I've heard many a self-help guru and everyone else loves to pontificate on, uh, you know, need is smothering and bad and we should all be self-sufficient and the only one that can heal us is us and all of that stuff. I don't agree with it. My feeling is that we are put on this planet to be with one another. And I think that many, if not most, human beings are more complete inside and feel better when they have a partner. And it has to be their sexual gender of choice. Uh, their sexual preference as the partner because there's something about uh, the desire to hug and the desire to kiss and hold and, and, and to sleep together, not, not even sexually, just to lie together in bed and sleep together, that, that is, creates a level of intimacy and union that is uh, second to none. And it's very healing and it's comforting. Sure, in many ways it can be it can be numbing. You can take it for granted because it becomes so second nature. Uh, and in many ways it can be irritating. You can get irritated by your partner and tired of certain habits and rituals and statement voice tones and so on and so forth. Sure. Um, familiarity breeds contempt can sometimes be true but uh, it's also true that um, we, we love people who know us it's also very very true that uh, when someone knows you and you feel like they, they've been through a lot with you that matters to have people like that and nobody can be like that quite like a significant other or a husband or a wife uh, that's the one type of person who literally goes through your family losses. You go through their family losses. You have fights. You make up. You have children. You have debt. You have the sex. You know, you have illness. 
and you've heard all the stories about you've met their friends, you go to parties, you've done grocery shopping, you've bought presents for each other. There's so many things that you can recount over the years or months, however long the relationship lasts, that you simply can't get from a regular friendship that's non-intimate um, or from a parent or a brother or sister, um, a grandparent, or even a pet. I mean, probably this, this may seem insulting to family and to friends, but if you have a close pet, probably that's as close as you get to having a mate because there can really grow an interdependence. And again, I, I totally disagree with the concept. The concept of codependency is one in the, in, in the practice of psychology. It's a specific type of ailment because what it's about is the one parter, party in the relationship has a bad habit. Maybe they're a drug user or they're abusive. You know, they beat you or they're a gambling addict. And so they are an addict or a bad actor. And the other person in the relationship is so in need of giving love and being needed that they foster the addiction or the abusive behavior so that they can then lick the wounds of their partner and be there for them and heal them and forgive them and help them through the tough times. And on and on it goes. The partner with the ailment sins again, comes back, mea culpa, mea culpa, apologizes, and the codependent person who needs love forgives them, and the cycle continues. That's what codependency is. It's not about two people that need each other. It's not about two people that would possibly collapse if one or the other was taken out of the other's lives. That's not codependency. That's love. <laughs> the reality is, you know, you're those old couples that live together for years and years and years, and then when one of them dies, oftentimes the other soon follows. It's because they were dependent upon one another. It's because each person's life uh, was was really tied into the other. And as the biblical vows of marriage say, you know, you become one. As the song, uh, the wedding song goes, you know, a man shall leave his father and a woman leave her home. The two shall travel on to where they will live as one. And it's from the Bible. I mean, the concept is you're supposed to be one and together. And a lot of people don't agree with that because they believe in independence. But certainly you can be independent still. That's not the point. Certainly you can have your time with the guys or girls or... Um, you could be a couple where there was this poet couple, this older poet that just died a couple years ago in his 80s. And he had a wonderful article. I don't remember his name. A wonderful article about how when his first wife died, he just assumed that was it. And he'd never be intimate again. He just never liked people much anyway. He had a brief period in his 40s where he was a popular professor and it started to go to his head. He started to love the parties and the attention, but for the vast majority of his life, he just didn't like society, didn't like people like to be reclusive. Well, he started up this relationship with this uh, younger uh, woman and they, they hesitated to make it sexual because he was so much older than her and he didn't want to die and leave her 
alone. And, um, but they couldn't help themselves. They fell in love and they got married. And then together they became reclusive. And he was a poet and I believe she was too, or an author. And they would spend their days in this farmhouse that they moved to. He would be on one side of the house on one floor, she on the other on a different floor, writing all day, doing their work. They would take a lunch break, eat something together and have some sex or take a nap together and lie together for a while. Then they would go back to their respective corners like a boxing match. Only the match was taking place in the corners and not in the ring. And they would do their work. She ended up getting leukemia and dying. He lived something like 20 years past her death. He met her somewhere around 50 and... Yeah, she she died. To, he he died in his late eighties or mid eighties, but she died twenty years before that of her leukemia. So so much for the thought of didn't, not wanting to marry her because he would die on her. Um, but it was a touching story. But the point is, it was a very fulfilling marriage, and they had a lot of intimacy, and they loved one another. Yet that's how they spent a lot of their time, and they loved one another very much. They talked and did other things too, but their days were spent separate doing their work because each of them valued their space and their isolation and needed it to produce their art. So when I say two people are dependent, it doesn't mean they never leave each other's sight. It doesn't mean they're glued at the hip. It doesn't mean any of that. It just means that, you know, when the one person dies, there's a tremendous vacancy, a void and an empty space in, in your heart, in your life. And that's normal and that's love and there's nothing unhealthy about that and if you're the type of person who knows you need that other person that other part to really make you feel better to make you feel happier to make you feel comforted then that's who you are and it's okay to be that type of person unfortunately (laughs) when you're that type of person and you don't have someone it's less than happiness most of the time and I've been mostly single on and off I've had women I've been involved with but mostly single for 20 years now since my divorce I mean relationships come and go but um, very few of them have been anything really long-standing or or certainly no cohabitation uh, and no level of uh, day-to-day intimacy like I had in my marriage in 20 years and it's not fulfilling to me I keep searching for it because not that I'm looking for my marriage, but that I was looking for my marriage before I found my marriage. You see, it's not that I'm looking to repeat something I experienced. It's that it's something inside my soul that requires that kind of loving bond with a woman to feel at peace and to feel greater happiness overall. I just, I require that. And a lot of people are like that and they know that. And that's why you see a lot of People settle for relationships that are less than perfect with people that maybe aren't that great looking, that they don't you know, desire, but they just need a partner. And so they make something work and they find it, it connects and they deal with it and they accept it because it fulfills their soul. It, it pleases them to have that connection. So <clears throat> um, that is why I have still, even though I'm 54, I am looking, I am open, I am because I will never um, be fully happy or satisfied with my existence or my life if I don't have a woman in it who I care, care about.
lucky for me, I've been able to find one that I do care about. I say I've been single for much of 20 years, but that doesn't mean uh, that I haven't had a woman I've cared about for most of that time. I, I have. I generally am able to find someone I do care about. Getting them to care about me, now that's another story. <laughs> uh, consummating any kind of real relationship, that's another story. Getting them to care enough about me, that's another story. Caring about them enough that I do what's required in order to, get, to hold on to them, that's another story. I mean, there are so many different permutations of how you can you know, have someone that you care about but not make it work in the traditional consummated intimate relationship way that you prefer and they'd probably prefer too just not with you yeah um it's it's a challenge to say the least so when you find that somebody that you're interested in and they're interested in you and it works and it clicks and you reach a level of ongoing intimacy that's makes each other happy why does it fall apart? Is That's a whole other conversation. There's all kinds of reasons. Things can change between a couple where maybe one person loses interest in the other. But here's how you can tell when you're losing the woman. It's pretty simple. Attentiveness. Uh, and by that, I don't just mean giving you their time. But how respectfully are they giving you their time? How attentive to you are they as they're giving you their time? How much do they laugh when they're attending to you? How much does giving you their time please, seem to please them? Um, not everybody's the same and not all women are the same, but... It has been my experience that when a woman loves you as a man, when a woman cares about you as her man, as the man in her life, you'll find that you don't have to really do jumping jacks or somersaults to get her attention. You don't really have to do all that much for her to be attentive to you and not just attentive, but in a way that is obviously... Um, pleased with being in your presence. I'm not talking about attentiveness where uh, they uh, make you food or bake for you or you know come over and bring you soup or <laughs> give you a massage or um, any of that kind of stuff. And I'm not even talking about sex. Uh, although that's certainly a big deal. If, if a woman is not being sexual with you, um, odds are she's expressing that part of herself somewhere else. So no matter how close you think you are with a woman, if you're not consummating it sexually, it's probably just a friendship. And if you want it to be more, you ain't there yet. And um, certainly a woman could tell you that she moves slowly She's old-fashioned, but the reality is in 2020, at this stage of the game, where premarital sex is not even a term anymore. I mean, there's no such thing as premarital sex because there's hardly anything as marriage. <laughs> there's just sex, you know. 
And uh, if you're not having it with that girl and you've known her a long time and you're pretty damn intimate with her and you get along, the level of intimacy is probably not there and the level of attentiveness is not what you would get in a relationship either, guaranteed. So let's say it's somebody that you're at least sexual with. And that doesn't have to be sleeping together. It could be all kinds of sexuality. People are different today. There's a lot of creative ways to be sexual, to express sexuality. Um, and you'll know when you have an intimate relationship with someone of a sexual nature. You'll know that. So let's just assume you have that and things are good. <clears throat> and you, there's some sexual bond and there's, some, there's friendship. And you have that intimacy that you're, you're craving with a member of the opposite sex. You know, once they are losing it for you, how can you tell? And attentiveness is the key. But, you know, they give you less of their time. They're harder to get a hold of. They cut off phone calls quicker. They shorten dates. They cancel dates. They say they're busy. They, um, are, are, they look away. They're distracted when you're sitting with them and you're talking. They... Um, They're telling you about their life, but when you start talking about your own, they look away. Um, They don't ask follow-up questions. They don't laugh at your jokes. And most importantly of all, you're losing a woman when she's picking fights with you. A lack of attentiveness is like the early stages, and then that builds up. And then it actually evolves into irritability. (laughs) And no, not just I'm on my period or I'm having a bad day or my wife's just bitchy. Irritability is, you know, things that she used to laugh at about you, things that she used to understand and be empathetic with with you about, um, suddenly become things that she's angry with you about, things that she is, is frustrated with you about, um, I'll give you a wonderful example. I remember I had a very attentive, loving wife. I had a very good relationship with my wife for, you know, more than 11 years. But near the end, uh, in fact, just a couple months before she left me, I developed an appendicitis and it was extremely painful and I didn't know what it was yet. And it just kept building up. And she was not comforting, not supportive. She was angry. She was upset with me because we had three young kids that were three years old, uh, triplets, and I wasn't able to help her. I was in pain, Um, and she was bitchy about it and irritated about it, and I ended up in the hospital, and she went with me. We had to get someone to watch the kids and went to the hospital, and they did an emergency appendectomy and removed it and told me that if I had waited an hour longer, it would have burst, and I could have died. But they took it out. Unfortunately, they didn't do it laparoscopically. They actually cut me open, and I have a a bit of a hernia from it to this day. Nowadays, they just suck it out with a little straw-like thing. And I wish they had done that back then, but this was back in the dinosaur days, 1999. And they didn't have that. uh, They weren't doing that procedure very much, if at all, then. So they had to cut me. They took it out. And when they cut you like that, especially down around your stomach, you're crippled for... A couple of weeks afterwards, maybe even up to a month, I forget, but quite a while. 
because you don't realize how much you use your stomach muscles until you tear one or have one cut into. And this was, like I said, about a five-inch incision, six-inch incision, stitched back together with meshing put there. But every time you move, every time you cough, when you stand up, when you walk, it feels like it's ripping apart. It's very painful. And I was overweight at the time as well. And so I have weight on me. I have this cut in my midsection on the side. And we have three kids. And boy, was my wife miserable uh, with me and blaming me. And when she came to the hospital to see me, she was angry at me as I lie in my hospital bed. And as I said, she left me only a month or two later. So that's how you know. <laughs> that's how you know. Is she attentive? Is she caring? Is she with you and listening and caring? Or is she angry with you? <laughs> That's when it's really close to the end. But so I just wanted to do a quick podcast on love. I think it's necessary for most people. I know it is for me. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. But I also know, and I also know this firsthand, you can live without it. I've lived most of my 54 years without it. Uh, I don't like that fact, but it is what it is. I haven't lived without loving a woman, but I've lived without the love of that woman in my life for the vast majority of my 54 years. In fact, other than the 11 and a half years I had with my wife where she probably only loved me really for 11 or maybe even 10 and a half of those years, um, I maybe have had, I, don't, I, I wouldn't even put a number on it, but Less, I will say less than two years of really being in any kind of loving bond with a woman. If you, a woman, if you add up a month here, a year here, whatever, probably just two years or less in the last 20 years. And I did not find love in my life. I loved women, but never found love prior to meeting my wife. So it's very hard to find. It's very hard to find, but very worthwhile to find. So if you haven't found it yet, don't worry. Keep looking. If you know you need it, you're normal. If you don't need it, you're normal. There is no normal. I'm just saying, don't let anyone tell you you're abnormal or something's wrong with you if you feel you need the love of a partner. And if you feel you don't, good for you. Good for you. Life will probably be a lot less painful for you than the rest of us. But if you do need the love of another and don't have it, just keep at it. Eventually, you'll find someone. I know it. I believe I still will. Um. And if I don't, and if I never get that consummated love again, so be it. I had it. I've had it here and there. It's nice when you have it. Um, but when you're losing it, it's all about, just look for these signs. It's all about the shortness of the attitude, uh, the lack of attention to wanting to, to communicate with you when they're not in person with you, um, the lack of listening to you, follow-up questions, wanting to talk to you, the lack of wanting to tell you. And frankly, who are we kidding here? Nine times out of ten, first of all, first of all, women break up with men more. That is how most relationships end. That's a fact. Uh, I read it years ago. I'm sure it hasn't changed. I can't cite anything for you, but I, I read it. I'm not making it up. Secondly, the reason they generally break up with you and leave you is for another man. Um... Most people hold on to a relationship, even one they don't like anymore, until something better comes along. And uh, that's when you know the, notice the inattentiveness, because their attentions are still there. <laughs> and 
they still want to listen to someone. They still want to care about someone. They still want to attend to someone. They still want to talk to someone. They still want to laugh with someone. Just not you anymore. So when you sense that that's diminishing and that level of connection is fading out, it is highly likely, almost certain, to be going somewhere else to another guy or girl, another partner, not you. So you'll know what you're used to. I'm not asking you to be paranoid. It's not about reading into things, being over analytical. That's what women will tell you. The moment you start noticing this reality happen, this reality going down, they'll try to gaslight you and tell you you're overanalyzing, you're making it up. But look, it's very easy to know when you have a nice, easygoing, congenial bond with someone and when you don't. It's very easy to know when you want to be with someone and they want to be with you and you both want to be with each other versus you want to be with them and they're busy. You want to be with them and they're busy again. You call them, they don't answer. You call them and they talk a little bit and they get off the phone. You know, you can tell, you can tell very easily when that level of attentiveness from them is dissipating. And I'm here to tell you that nine times out of 10, it's going somewhere else to another guy. And that's when it starts to really unravel. You notice it, you notice it, you bring it up, they gaslight you, you bring it up, they yell at you, the, the lack of attentiveness becomes hostility, they become irritated with you all the time, you become anxious, your anxiety increases, your fear and insecurity increases, Um, They begin to call you crazy. You begin to get angry and then apologize. It gets ugly. It it just becomes a, a repeat pattern of dissatisfaction from both sides. But at the end of the day, everything would be wonderful again if they just cared the way they used to. But they don't because someone else is there. And so the cycle continues. It continues until finally... They feel they've justified dumping you. They've been waiting for an opportunity to dump you for this new person, but they don't, they feel guilty. But enough of this cycle going on where they, it's almost intentional. In fact, it very well might be intentional. Uh, Their inattentiveness and then their bitchiness about it uh, causes arguments and fights and makeups and all that to the point where eventually they think they have enough to say no. You've done X, Y, and Z, so I'm done. When really all you did was try to try to hold on to them. And you know, ugliness ensues because they don't want you to really hold on to them. But they don't want to let you go because they feel guilty. So instead you dance around in this ugliness until finally they dump you. That's how most relationships end between a man and a woman. I'm here to tell you, not just mine, that's how most relationships end between a man and a woman. I love you. Oh, wait. Also, don't give up hope. Don't give up hope. Keep hope alive in in those relationships. I didn't want to end on a negative note, that's all. Don't give up hope. Keep looking for love. It'll end ugly nine times out of ten, but keep looking. I love you. Yabba da boop